Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today I am sitting here in lovely San Francisco with Ty Shea, who is the CMO of Norton LifeLock. Ty, hi and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm excited. My gosh, it's great to finally meet you. And uh, why don't we start with you sharing a little bit about what Norton LifeLock is and why you decided to take that on. Yes, I was leading uh, marketing for a company called LifeLock, which does identity theft protection. And this is something that's really important to me. My brother, about 10 years ago, had his identity stolen. And I'm not sure if it's happened to you, Nadine, or anyone you know, but you're kind of guilty until proven innocent. Mm -hmm. And so he was getting all these bills, all these creditors were calling him. And he became a LifeLock member, and LifeLock shut it all down and solved the problem. So he called me about six months later and said, hey, Ty, you have to sign up for LifeLock. So I've been a LifeLock member for about eight years. And so when LifeLock was looking for a new CMO, I had breakfast with the founder and the president, and I thought it was a noble mission. And so I joined with the goal of helping protect people's identity against cyber criminals. Um, the Norton part of it came about two years ago. Norton, which is part of Symantec, ended up buying LifeLock with the goal of combining antivirus and identity theft together. LifeLock was growing very quickly. And so after they bought LifeLock, they asked me to lead marketing for the combined brands, Norton and LifeLock. So here I am, two years later. Wow, okay, so two years then. So. I love what you said about protecting individuals from cyber criminals. Security and cyber theft and hacking is so incredibly important today. Tell me a little bit more about how you guys are able to protect from that. Yeah, so it literally is a war. If you think of uh, the world today, it used to be criminals used to be you know people who would, who would mug you or assault you or in the wild west it was people robbing banks. But really the most common theft now is identity theft and people stealing your data and using it. So what we do is we have a comprehensive layer of protection where we're locking down your devices with a technology solution, which is Norton. 
And then LifeLock, we protect you. We are always looking for whether people are trying to apply for credit or apply for things using your identity. So by combining them together, we're really able to provide what we call 360-degree protection Mm -hmm. against loss for you, which is what you really care about, people trying to steal what's yours. You know, it's so funny because after I talked to you, I actually started getting nervous about little things that I was noticing, and I was like, oh, my God. So I went and signed up. Yes. (laughs) So uh, you you made me a customer. I don't know if making me a customer out of fear is a good thing or not, but but actually it's a very good service, and I'm glad that you brought my attention to it because, as we were chatting earlier, there have been a couple – situations where you know it could have turned into identity theft and i was lucky it didn't and but mostly you never even notice right they just yes it just happens without you even seeing or recognizing that it's happening right yeah so i I, like you said i've uh had people since i've been uh, a lifelock member who've tried to steal my identity or tried to buy a cell phone from at&t using my identity and i get these alerts and lifelock stops it and to your point i don't even know if I would know this was happening in the background if I wasn't a LifeLock member. So I'm really proud of the service we offer. Yeah, that's great. So what made you decide to, I mean, sure, your brother had a great experience. You were a customer. But what made you decide to take on this type of role in yeah. this business? So LifeLock, I didn't really know much about. I was just a member. But it's a really marketing-driven company. Spending, you know, this is four years ago when I joined, spending over $200 million a year on marketing, really mostly through acquiring customers and has really high lifetime value and really low churn rate. So when I had breakfast with Todd and Hillary, the founder and and the CEO, it was a public company and it was growth was kind of slowing down and uh, customer acquisition costs were were increasing. Mm -hmm. So I I think for me, I'm really been into, I call it performance storytelling, which is how do you drive performance through telling better stories. So I thought it was a real marketing challenge as well to figure out how do you tell your message in a, a more compelling way, simple way, and how do you really drive down the costs of acquisition at scale at a $200 million budget. Mm-hmm. So there's also the real big marketing challenge that, uh, that interested me. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when you say performance storytelling, you remind me a lot of Vineet Mira, mm-hmm. who was the CMO of Ancestry, but now the global CMO of Walgreens Boots Alliance. Yes. And yeah, I was so fascinated by our discussion because we dug really deep into the topic of performance marketing. So I'd, I'd love to hear how your team is organized and some of the activities that you're working on and what you find to be successful today. Yeah, so Vineet is a uh, friend of mine, and so we've definitely shared tips and tricks. I'm really excited for him, but we're sad to lose him in the Bay Area. Uh, yes, of course. So, uh, yeah, so what I've always thought is, you know, conceptually the marketing team is composed of like two skill sets. Storytellers, who are like your classic creative brand people, who are really, really important and analysts, who are the people, I think, who are more quantitative, who are measuring, tracking, how are you doing, and, and measuring. So the, at, a, at a macro level, I always think of a great team is, can you have a team of, of storytellers and analysts, and can you create a system where everyone gets along and everyone's working towards the common goals? Mm-hmm. So that's at the highest level how I think about organizing the team. Yeah. And when it comes to having them understand each other's respective functions. I mean, obviously, you just described two very different skill sets. Yes. Like, how do you how do you enable that collaboration and and that kind of cross understanding, if you will? Yeah, a big part of what we do is also around insights, around understanding who who your consumer is and what they want, and hypothesizing what will get them more interested in, in buying your product. 
and then marketing analytics, which is mm -hmm. actually the way I think of is you take kind of these hypotheses about what you think they want, and then you actually do some testing, and then you measure whether or not it's actually working. So we've created a real, I'd say, system of checks and balances where we're really allowing creatives and the brand people to tell really, really good stories, and we're giving them feedback about how their stories are doing in market. Mm -hmm. So we're like measuring how well is TV doing today? How well does TV do on, we have five different units of TV. We have everything from an infomercial, which is 30 minute, to 15 second units. Mm -hmm. So it's a really complex system on the back end that's providing feedback to the storytellers about how well their stories are doing it at attracting new customers for us. Mm -hmm. So I love that you, you're talking earlier on about sort of a low churn rate because you know we always say you know, retention is worth five to one over yes. acquisition. Yes. And um, obviously there's a real need for consumers to continue on with you. They, they, they clearly have other choices, but the fact that you've been able to keep them for a long period of time, I mean, you're a life partner almost. Well, yeah, you are a life partner. We really are. We have a... You know, our, our, our retention rate, our NPS are really, really high. And I think it's particularly once you sign up, and I don't know if you've gotten any alerts about, hey, somebody was, uh, your, your information showed up on the dark web or somebody applied. I think once you see that kind of activity, you really do feel like the need, well, what did I do before I knew this was happening in the background? Right, right. So maybe it's a, it's a silly question, but I have to ask it because... It's such a personal topic, and you're talking about people's identity and it getting stolen. Like, how do you market that? Because, I mean, one, you could, there is the fear factor. Like, if you don't do this, then you're at risk. But, like, how do you present a more positive scenario? Yeah. I think fear is a very limited way to attract customers. Absolutely. I think ultimately for companies that, that really prey on consumers and use fear, I think they're kind of a combination of loved and hated. Mm, you're right. <laughs> you know, they feel like they're necessary, but nobody really likes you as a brand. <laughs> right. So we've always been very careful. I think one thing we've learned, and you know, I was also at eSurance, which is an insurance company, I think you do need to make people understand the risk that's out there and that there mm. are cyber criminals who are constantly kind of looking for vulnerability. But what we try to do is make it more about positive about, hey, if you have a LifeLock or Norton, you can actually live the life that you want to. Shifting it to a positive of living with freedom, living with um, the, the way you want to in today's world. I don't want to put you on the spot, but you probably know this. I saw a TED Talk once about cybercrime. And as an individual, things might happen one or two times a week, a month, a day, where someone's trying to take advantage of your personal uh, information. Mm -hmm. But it's happening every second. Could you share any metrics around like how prevalent cybercrime is? Yeah, so we have a whole research lab that's monitoring networks all over the world. And to your point, it's all-out warfare. There mm -hmm. are governments, there are corporations, <laughs> there are crime syndicates. So it literally is a nonstop, uh, almost cyber warfare that's happening behind us. So being within a place like Semantic, where literally... You know, we're talking to the NSA and we're talking to the FBI and we're helping them with their cases on a daily basis. You do get exposed to what you see in movies is not really that far from reality wow. as far as this is happening behind the scenes. This is said so this is the new modern crime is cyber crime. Wow. And you probably have the opportunity to look at 
hundreds of thousands, if not millions of cases. Like, how do you resist, you know, becoming the detective yourself? <laughs> well, we're, like I said, we, we have a noble mission, which is we're the protectors of the digital universe. Mm -hmm. So we focus on the protection thing. We have a lot of scientists and, and data scientists that are doing the algorithms and the, the things that prevent the fraud. What we're focused on is, is really getting the word out there about how you're vulnerable, because a lot of it is education. People just mm -hmm. don't know because they can't see it. Mm -hmm. and then articulating how we can help you live that life that you want to in today's world. Great. Well, when you were growing up or going to college or even early in your career, did you ever think you would be the head of marketing for a cybercrime defense no, company? No, <laughs> Nadine, I have a really weird background for a marketer. I majored in accounting, Okay. and I passed the CPA exam, and I worked in investment banking. So I had no idea. I thought I would be like on Wall Street. But then when I got to be in investment banking, I really, I hated that, to be honest <laughs> with you. So I, so I came out to business school at Stanford, and I had a good marketing professor. And, you know, the logical thing to me was, if you want to learn marketing, where do you go? Procter & Gamble for me. So I went and started my marketing career in Procter & Gamble, and um, that was a great foundation. And then I've had, a, to your point, a series of experiences that have led me to you here today. Wow. Well, and I'm so happy that we, we were able to get together. And you mentioned insurance in there as yes. well? Yes. So when I was at Clorox, I got recruited from a, uh, a Procter & Gamble alum to join a company called Sierra Holdings Corporation. We ended up buying the URL insurance for mm -hmm. $2.5 million and then launching that. And that was really lucky for me in that I had this background in brand from Clorox and marketing. And I actually, at Eastern, I happened to sit next to the actuary data mining team because it's an insurance company. Mm -hmm. I was like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, <laughs> oh, we're actually calculating how much our customers are worth and how much we can pay to acquire customers. So I learned that whole idea of, of customer lifetime value and churn. And at that time, this is the late 90s, it was really an interesting idea to combine the brand and the financial aspect of looking at customers like an actuary into one thing. And I think... That's what kind of set me off on this performance storytelling kind of journey, thinking about those things together. I love that. And then how did you continue to beef up your own skills and how do you help grow the skills of your team? Yeah, being in Silicon Valley here, I think it's a great area because there's a lot of innovation and I think there's a lot of appetite for risk taking. Mm -hmm. So after insurance, I went and helped launch a company called Hotwire, which is a travel company. Oh, yeah. And in the Valley, what's interesting, because maybe because you have a lot of engineers, as long as you can tell a story with data, you can say, hey, we're going to do an experiment, and this is our hypothesis, mm -hmm. and this is what we think is going to happen. I found that in the Valley, it's okay if you're not right. Yeah. You say, hey, we think this is going to happen. This is how we're going to measure and This is how we're going to... So, I would say that for the last you know, 15 years, I've been at these unique companies doing lots of experiments. Honestly, most of them don't work. Some of them do work. And when they work, you kind of double down and triple down. So we've just been, I've been in environments that have let me experiment and then double down on things that work. And I think that's how you learn. The best mm -hmm. way to do things is to try it and then learn. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so you went from investment banking to packaged goods yes. to online insurance. Now you're at cybersecurity. Yes. Where do you go from here? You know, I think what I found is I'm really interested in this idea of like a playbook. I've had enough experiences, Nadine, where I think there's a lot of similarities with direct-to-consumer businesses. Mm -hmm. So I've been evolving my playbook 
of like, how do you do this? And, you know, the advent of direct-to-consumer is a new category. You've got like Casper with mattresses or mm-hmm. Warby Parker with glasses. I think this idea of having an idea, building the business from an idea, and then just going directly to consumer instead of, um, you know, through a retailer. Mm-hmm. I see the world as full of possibilities. So I just want to keep uh, helping companies grow and evolve through this performance st- storytelling framework. So when you came in here, you already had a really large customer base to work with. You know, a lot of the the direct-to-consumer brands are starting out with zero. Right. And I think the, the initial hurdle of acquisition there becomes the most important thing, obviously. Once you have enough customers, then it's retention. But uh, did you learn any tricks along the way that you could pass along to somebody, like if they're just getting started in a direct-to-consumer business? Yeah. I mean, it's great. I think the zero to one, now, you know, when I look back, I also in there had my own startup. Oh, there you did, go. That didn't do as well. <laughs> but I think zero to one is really, really challenging. And that's why I think, you know, um, Silicon Valley is such an interesting place because they're, everyone's trying to have an idea and translate it to a working business. I think, you know, my, my zero to one, there's a lot of luck involved. I think, like you said, you have to start small and you have to think about, like, to your point, where can we get our first 100 customers? Where can we get our first 1,000? Where can we get our first 10,000? Mm-hmm. So it really is off of finding one channel that works. It might be Facebook. It might be affiliates. It might be search. Trying to then optimize that and then just trying to layer like a cake, add on layers of other channels that work all through this experimentation. The one thing, advice that I give to other marketers when they're going from um, to these startups that are really trying to find product market fit I think it's a dangerous place to be the first marketer. Yeah. <laughs> because, and when you're in a company and you have a great idea, you don't really understand if, to your point, if your inability to scale is because maybe there's not good product market fit or because it's the marketer's fault. Mm-hmm. So the advice I do give Nadine from people is don't be the first marketer for a <laughs> consumer-driven startup. Be the second or third because the first one is just too hard to measure what success looks like. Yeah. Oh, that's really good advice. Uh, I'll have to keep that in mind for sure. So what was your startup? I have to know. So I uh, always been passionate about sports. And so in 2006, I had an idea for a sports social network. And so this was the time of Facebook was just starting, which is around college students at the time. MySpace was around music. So I thought social networks would be vertical. There'd be one for like sports fans, maybe one for religion or something like that. Um, I was completely wrong. <laughs> so it ended up that, you know, so Facebook and, and, and Twitter became these huge horizontal um, social networks. So my theory was wrong, but, um, you know, the way uh, it was a startup, so I didn't really have money to spend. And so I learned the skill that's called growth hacking in Silicon Valley. Like, how do you grow without money? Like mm-hmm. user generated content or getting people to invite their friends different things like that. So it was a good skill set. The startup, you know, we were ultimately successful at getting lots of customers. We had 12 million users. Wow. Really unsuccessful at being able to monetize them uh-huh. besides like advertising, which is like, you know, pennies. It was a, it was a good lesson, but it did sh- uh, teach me personally how hard that product market fit and getting revenue, not just customers, but revenue. Mm-hmm. Very, very difficult. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. So I literally just released a podcast uh, this week with Heidi Browning Pearson, who's the CMO of the NHL. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you yes. two should chat because yes. uh, she's doing all kinds of cool new things with uh, the Power Puck. 
yeah. tracker now that is going to be bringing in real-time data and feeding the sports betting boards. Mm -hmm. So I think you two could could have a really. I good mean, super super exciting. I think one you know one of the other life lessons I learned was you know there are a lot of people who say hey find your passion and then do your passion. For me, it was the opposite. <laughs> I did my passion was a sports and sports fan, and you know I was in that business. After a while, it became too much. Like I was doing sports at work, and then yeah. I was like, you know, wanted to watch, and then I stopped watching sports. So for me, I found, and I think Mark Cuban says this too, is like, don't pursue your passions, pursue what you're good at, that, and then go from there. I do still enjoy sports, but uh, I'm okay working in cybersecurity. There you go. Yeah. Wow. Well, the, I'm sure your worlds will all come together again in some strange way. Speaking of passions, what? What are your passions outside of cybersecurity and sports? <laughs> well, I have a, a teenage daughter, okay. so she's just about to graduate from eighth grade. And then I am still really passionate about sports. I play basketball a lot, still trying to, you know, be the last man standing and being able to play. <laughs> and then, you know, my family and I, we really like to travel. We like to try uh, different restaurants, so just, uh, you know, typical things in San Francisco. And in San Francisco, there are lots of restaurants to try. That there is for sure. There are lots sure. of restaurants to try, yes. <laughs> it is, I'm sitting here looking outside your window, and that's a gorgeous view uh, of the, the Bay Bridge and the Ferry Building. And uh, right there used to be one of my favorite hangout spots when I was working down at One Market many, many years ago. Yes. And it was still under reconstruction when I first started working there. That tells you how old I am. Oh, my God. So cybersecurity, sports, you got all kinds of great things in your background. And um, as you think about your teenage daughter, eighth grade, is she thinking about cybersecurity yet? <laughs> <laughs> I think she knows more than she probably should about the, like I said, the vulnerability or the downside of what can happen if you're not protected. You know, she actually really likes fashion, mm -hmm. theater. So it'll be really interesting to see where she goes in her journey. She really also has enjoyed traveling. I don't know if in there, I told you I worked at a travel company, Hotwire. You did mention that. So <laughs> one of the great things was when I was at Hotwire, we were all travel agents. And so what happened is you, if you're a travel agent, you get a lot of discounts. So in the early days, my wife and I were doing a ton of traveling um, because we got such good deals. Unfortunately, we still do a ton of traveling. We just don't get quite the same deals anymore. Yeah, well... So we all like to you and Barbara Messing probably both, right? <laughs> that's right. Barbara, back in the day, we worked back there in the day. together. Yeah. yeah, well, that's amazing. So Barbara went from there to TripAdvisor. Now she's CMO of Walmart. And I just remember right before she left there, I would see all her pictures of everywhere around the world she was going. So I, I, I think I want to work for a travel company one day because that seems to be the golden ticket, right? I think you should do it, Nadine. I think I should. It's, it's great. <laughs> maybe, maybe that'll do that. Talking about your daughter and younger, the younger generation for a bit, because they grew up with the world at their fingertips. I mean, literally at their fingertips. What do you think is going to happen? And you know, in this space of cybersecurity, do you think we're going to get better at it? Do you think it's just going to get worse? Have you seen the new Apple TV ads about privacy? Yes. So one thing that is really interesting, and this is pretty dramatic change in behavior. In America, we've been pretty liberal with our data. I think Americans historically have been totally willing to give Facebook all their data in exchange <laughs> for it being free. Mm -hmm. The rest of the world, Europe, et cetera, has not been that way. So I think with the scandals around data, privacy, Facebook, that some of these companies have faced, that privacy and data security and integrity are becoming increasingly more important. So it's really interesting 
Apple as a closed network really now talking about you know being private and protecting you and being um, the safe place for your data. So almost you know if you think of a, a positioning, they almost want to be the Disney, the mm-hmm. safe place mm-hmm. for your technology. And if you think about that, that's a crazy idea that that's a big enough yeah. idea that hey we'll be your private technology provider. But I think it's big enough that that's probably the next generation. So my daughter, I think the world's starting to reverse course, and mm-hmm. that people are becoming more aware of the dangers of having their data out there in all these places. Mm-hmm. So I do think that uh, with Apple leading the charge, and and Symantec, and Norton, and LifeLock, that I, I do think some of these things will be reversed. Like we see GDPR, we see some regulation, mm-hmm. we see that. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm optimistic that it'll be a better and a safer place going forward for my daughter and her generation. Yeah. And I'm going to ask a question that I will admittedly say is a little bit outside my league because I haven't gone deep into the research, but what do you think about blockchain and all this? I think encryption, anything like that and uh, dual authentication, things Mm -hmm. like that, password manager technology, you know, that's Mm -hmm. more sophisticated than my, (laughs) you know, passwords. (laughs) I think those enabling technologies, to your point, are going to be like foundational Mm -hmm. for the businesses of the future privacy, data security, integrity, trust, I think are going to be what consumers expect of businesses going forward. The other thing that I really like about uh, my daughter's generation and, and millennials is purpose. Companies with purpose and companies that give back and companies that are also the kind of companies that my daughter wants to support. Right. What's their mission? What's their cause? What's... So I think in a lot of ways, I have a lot of optimism about the future because you know, purpose, uh, privacy, data security. I think they just know more mm-hmm. about the vulnerabilities. So I am optimistic about the future. Great. Well, we are unfortunately out of time. So I have one final question for you. Mm-hmm. And it kind of goes back to your passions. Yes. But I'm going to remove money. I'm going to remove talent. Those are no longer objects in your way. Okay. If you could be doing anything today, what would you be doing? So I am still a big NBA fan, (laughs) and I think that leading international expansion for the NBA, which is already, I think, the the sport that's furthest along further than NFL Mm -hmm. or NHL, and doing the globalization of that would be super interesting to me. Oh. Yeah. You might have just created a job for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Whoever is the CMO of the NBA, I'm not trying to take your job, but I'm just very passionate about the game. Something I enjoy. Well, that's great. Well, again, thank you so much for allowing me to join you here at your lovely office. Of course. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks, Nadine. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content, so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.